0: After the rising in the summer of 1916, George Bernard Shaw, arguably the world's most famous living playwright at the time, decided to draft a monologue for Roger Casement, who was about to go on trial in London for the capital crime of high treason. He was seeking to import arms from Germany to Ireland in preparation for a rising. Even though Shaw did not think that Casement was right to forge an alliance with Germany, he still believed that Casement, as an Irishman, owed no allegiance to the British Empire. He felt he had the right to do what he sincerely believed was best for his own country, Ireland. And Shaw expected Casement to literally perform to save his life. But Shaw was also not keen to make him a martyr. He was personally sceptical about the value of martyrdom and in his play, The Devil's Disciple, the character of Burgoyne, does not really want to hang the rebel Dick Dudgeon and says, it is making too much of the fellow to execute him. Martyrdom, sir, is what people like. It is the only way in which a man can become famous without ability. Shaw wanted to save Casement from martyrdom. He felt it was essential that Casement should conduct his own defence and tactically speak to the jury before it had condemned him. However, Shaw's monologue was not performed and Casement's lawyers persuaded him to adopt a conventional defence, contesting the facts and making the speech only after he had been condemned. Casement, while awaiting his execution, sadly regretted that he had not performed Shaw's speech. And here it is, Shaw's unheard monologue, written specifically in defence of Roger Casement. Gentlemen of the Jury I plead not guilty to the charge of high treason but I ask you not to take this as a denial of the essential facts relied on by the Crown. What I deny, rather, is that any guilt attaches to those facts. I have spared you the tedium of calling witnesses to prove facts which I do not dispute and of which I am not ashamed. Indeed rather than seeking to repudiate the Crown's case I embrace it. It is quite true that I made up my mind that my country ought to achieve her independence of English rule by force of arms. I hoped that, in a very humble way, I might do for my country what Garibaldi has been honoured in England for doing for his country, Italy. You may smile at my vanity now that I have failed, but you know that nations are not freed by personal modesty any more than by personal vanity. And a nation which cannot produce a Garibaldi has to be content with Roger Casements, and the Casements must do their best. I concluded that it was no more possible for Ireland to free herself without foreign alliances than it had been possible for Italy to free herself without the help of France. I sought to obtain the assistance of the German Empire in this enterprise. I have no apology whatever to make for that. It was my plain duty to my country. I did not want German troops in Ireland. What I wanted from Germany was money, munitions and Irish soldiers, and this was all I accepted. The German authorities collected their Irish prisoners and invited me to persuade them to take part in my enterprise. I did my best. I need hardly say I did not ask any English soldier to fight against his own country. I know how to respect other people's nationality because I know how to respect my own. An attempt has been made to prejudice me on the ground that I was formerly in the pay of the British Empire and that I was knighted for my services to it. I am glad of that now because the fact that I served England well enough to have my services publicly acknowledged and especially rewarded shows that I have no quarrel with England except the political quarrel which England respects and applauds in Italy, Poland, Belgium and in short in every country except those conquered and denationalised by England herself. Almost all the disasters and difficulties that have made the relations of Ireland with England so mischievous to both countries have arisen from the failure of England to understand that Ireland is not a province of England, but a nation, and to negotiate with her on that assumption. If you persist in treating me as an Englishman, You bind yourself thereby to hang me as a traitor before the eyes of the world. Now, as a simple matter of fact, I am neither an Englishman nor a traitor. I am an Irishman, captured in a fair attempt to achieve the independence of my country, and you can no more deprive me of the honours of that position or destroy the effects of my effort than the abominable cruelties inflicted 600 years ago on William Wallace in this city, when he met a precisely similar indictment with a precisely similar reply, have prevented that brave and honourable Scot from becoming the national hero of his country. It may seem to some of you gentlemen of the jury that uh, I ought not to be hanged for being a traitor. I ought to be hanged for being a fool. I will not plead... That if men are to be hanged for errors of judgment in politics, we should have such a mortality in England and Ireland that hardly one of us will be left to hang the other. But I may ask you, if you nevertheless lean to that opinion in my case, whether my attempt, desperate as it seems, has been, after all, so disastrous a failure. I am not trying to shirk the British scaffold, it has been the altar on which the Irish saints have been canonised for centuries. But I confess, I shrink a little from the pillory in which the public opinion of the world places men who, with the best of intentions, can do nothing but mischief to the cause they embrace. But I do not think I shall occupy that pillory. Will you understand me when I say that those days of splendid fighting against desperate odds in the streets of Dublin have given Ireland back her self-respect? We were beaten, indeed never had a dog's chance of victory, but you were also beaten in a no less rash and desperate enterprise in Gallipoli. Are you ashamed of it? Did your hearts burn any less? Did your faith in the valour of your race flag and falter because you were at last driven into the sea by the Turks? Well, what you feel about the fight in Gallipoli, Irishmen feel all over the world about the fight in Dublin. Even if it had no further consequences, even if it had not sent your Prime Minister, who had shelved the Home Rule Act, as if it had been a negligible parish bylaw, scuttling to Dublin... I should still glory in the feet of arms. And now, gentlemen, you may hang me if you like. I will not even add and be damned to you because I feel no more ill will to you than I did in the days when you were glad enough to claim my public work as the work of an English consul. You have no immediate vengeance to fear for it. It cannot be said that you dare not kill me I hope that my countrymen, whatever happens, will not waste their energy and degrade their souls with idle dreams of vengeance, even if the fortune of war should make it possible for them to give effect to them. My neck is at your mercy, if it amuses you to break it. My honour and reputation are beyond your reach. The Lord Chief Justice will presently tell you – I could anticipate the inevitable summing up for you if I doubted his ability to express it far more weightily than I – he will tell you, as he must, that legally I am a traitor. But history will not, on that account, absolve you from the most sacred duty of a jury, the duty of standing on the side of right, truth, and justice between all honest laymen and that part of the law which was made against their own consent to destroy them. The question for you is not whether I have broken this law or that, nor whether what I have done comes under this or that legal classification. The question for you is whether I am guilty or not guilty. And if you allow any judicial direction to distract you from that issue, you will betray not only me, your political enemy, but every man alive who has nothing but a jury between him and the worst that the dead letter of unjust laws can do to him. I hope that I have spoken here today as you would desire an Englishman speak in a German court if your country shared the fate of mine. I ask for no mercy, no pardon, no pity. I sincerely and humbly beg your pardon if at any moment during this trial my inextinguishable pride in being an Irishman and my exultation in the bravery and devotion of my countrymen has betrayed me into an exhibition of vanity or arrogance. Of any trace of malice, I know I am entirely free, for I feel none, and shall feel none, whatever the upshot may be. Gentlemen. I have done my duty. Now, it is your turn.